0: Which sounds more favorable to you, traditionalist or radical? Our postmodern society has glamorized the rebel without a cause and told us that the progressive who bucks societal norms and the status quo is the real hero that creates change. There's just one big problem. Throughout history, the person who has changed the world and bucked the status quo by calling us back to truth is the conservative they have the bravery to pull us back from the brink and back onto solid ground while the world wants to only fans itself into extinction the conservative says maybe a mom and a dad in a home raising a kid is not only the real radical choice but also way better for you and society In the 60s and the 70s, in movies, we saw Thomas More and a man for all seasons refusing to bless the king's redefinition of marriage and paying the ultimate price for it. In Beckett, we saw a rebel-turned-priest become the ultimate rebel with a cause because he lost his life refusing to honor the king's sexual deviancy. In all, we see the real heroes in society don't pull us into the future. They create a better world by building it on the wisdom of the past. That's why when Rick Warren battles with the SBC on whether or not women should be in positions of leadership traditionally held by men, we should pay attention. It's also why we should be quick to mock those in the woke social justice camp because supposedly the Biden administration is all about equity and fairness and gender equality, but Anthony Blinken just went to the Communist People's Republic of China, a nation that is imprisoning over a million Uyghur Muslims, and said nothing about that, but only pandered to the country so much for wokeism. And then finally, we'll look at a church that held its first ever fully created artificial intelligence service. We'll see why ChatGPT is not enough in the present for people and their souls. We'll talk about that and more today on Thinker. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and to check out today's show sponsor, Kevin Blair and the Element Home Loans Mortgage Team. If you're looking for your dream home, they can help you do that, and I know what you're thinking. Right now, it's a nightmare to shop for a home. Maybe you're dealing with low inventory, high interest rates, or any number of things. Maybe you're even dealing with the nightmare of a conventional bank who's promised you a great interest rate or promised you a million different packages that they can't actually give you because they just tried to reel you in with a rocket mortgage-like kind of incentive package that may not necessarily be all it's cracked up to be because they were just merely trying to get your business without helping you really do what's in your best interest. Now, you'll never have to worry about that with Kevin Blair and my friends over at Element Home Loans. But to see that for yourself, you need to go get pre-approved today for free. Beyond even buying your dream home and escaping the nightmares of society, you can also potentially even refinance your home in the future for free if you qualify and so many other packages that they have that you just won't find anywhere else. But again, to see everything that they can do for you, you need to go to kbntg.com, and when you do so, let them know that Indie Thinker sent you. Well, today I hope to kind of combine faith with reason and, in the process, maybe discuss some things that I hope will give you the confidence to feel like you can also voice your thoughts on some pretty tense issues as we are seeing right now happen with Rick Warren and the SBC. Because the Southern Baptist Convention has voted to remove Rick Warren's church that he started so long ago in Orange County Saddleback Church from the SBC because of their decision to put women in a position of leadership. Now, this is a pretty charged topic, which is why I love to run into these things full bore, because we've been told throughout Um, Probably our Christian career that, you know, we need to tread lightly on these things and that we need to be very careful and that we need to be a safe zone. And rather, I think we've done each and every one of ourselves and other people a disservice by thinking like this. The reality is open discussion, free discourse of ideas, being willing to take unpopular stances on things that you feel are true, not just for the sake of being unpopular, but for the sake of being true, are actually very beneficial to each and every one of us. And so as we talk about this very controversial subject because of as I'll try to explain later the way our society has become, it's important that we have the courage and the bravery to speak the truth and and do so in a way that we feel is accurate to not just what we think and what we feel, but according to what we see. Um, in, in the Bible. Now, this is especially true when it comes to an organization like the Southern Baptist Convention and Rick Warren's church. Now, you may have a numerous amount of feelings on this issue, but the one thing I want to try to fight for each and every one of us, because the moral of the story of this first story and why I'm starting with it, is that we need to be careful to understand how much of our thinking has been influenced by the culture and how much of it has actually been influenced by, by the teachings of Scripture. So when we're talking about Rick Warren and we're talking about the SBC, We're not talking about a secular institution. You may have a different opinion when it comes to Procter & Gamble or a different opinion when it comes to uh, Coca-Cola and the fact that CEOs can be women in those positions of authority. Um, that's, That's a different show for a different day, frankly. But we're talking about now a Christian organization based upon Christian scriptural ideas. And so I think it's important for us to kind of suss out what that looks like As much as possible from a christian perspective before we do that i want you to hear from rick warren himself as he gives kind of his swan song his last speech at the southern baptist convention that just took place i think uh, a couple of weeks ago or last week but nonetheless his swan song as he's giving his last speech before his church is officially uh removed from the sbc so here's that
1: no it's customary um for a, a guy who's about to be hung to let him say his dying words I have no intention of defending myself. I have taught my kids and grandkids for years. I am most like Christ when I refuse to defend myself. Here's my love letter to you, because I really am grateful, if this is my last convention. Because of Southern Baptist polity, I was allowed to serve one church for life. That's not possible in those denominations. And, get, and grew it to become the largest church in this convention. Because Southern Baptist gave me a passion for evangelism and mission, we baptized 56,631 new believers. Wow. And as a Southern Baptist church, sent 26,869 members overseas to 197 nations. Because Southern Baptists taught me the value of a membership covenant, 78,157 members of our church signed our membership covenant after taking a four-hour membership class. Because Southern Baptists taught me the value of church planting, as I already mentioned, we planted 90 in Orange County alone and literally thousands around the world. Because Southern Baptist taught me to honor and love the local church, I've had the privilege for 43 years of training 1.1 million pastors. That — sorry, friends — that's more than all the seminaries put together. And cl- You're never going to find another Baptist who agrees with you completely on everything. There are Baptist brothers here today who don't believe Jesus died for the whole world. But we somehow get along with them.
0: If you've watched my show at any length before, you'll see that very often I don't have a problem with being sarcastic and also being very, uh, very honest. And it's one of the reasons I do this show, because very often we are not that honest in church. We tiptoe around issues rather than be clear and, and concise. So I'll try to be both here on this issue, and just say that I want to be very charitable to Rick Warren, although I may not be the most charitable person on the planet. I'll admit my patience level for, for some of the things that we see in church that lean toward the progressive and to the left, um, really annoy me. But uh, but I want to be charitable to this man that I believe has been a faithful uh, minister of the gospel and loved Jesus and others throughout his ministry career. I want to be as charitable as possible while also being very very honest about what we're seeing in this shift at Saddleback toward female leadership on their staff. And if I'm not mistaken, that female leadership uh, goes to not uh, not necessarily the highest level, but pretty close to it in the organization, because technically the leader of Saddleback Church is... Um, is a male pastor, but it's kind of a co-pastoring team with with his wife. And this is really the thing that's causing uh, a lot of the issues uh, with the SBC and Saddleback. But so I I just want to say this about Rick Warren. I, I think his accomplishments are noble. And what he talks about in his swan song speech before they remove him from the SBC is true. He's impacted pastors. He's planted many churches. He's He's done some amazing things in his ministry career. I'll just go ahead and say on a personal anecdotal level that my wife grew up negligibly Catholic her whole life, um, going to church Christmas, Easter, maybe, and uh, didn't get saved until she was later in life and reading purpose-driven life in her room. And so Rick Warren has had a special place in her heart because it was influential in helping her come to Christ. So there's no doubt that Rick Warren has accomplished some amazing things. And, and it's important to note that. So thanks, Rick, for reminding us in your speech, but it also doesn't change the facts. It doesn't change the facts that the SBC is kicking you out because of what they perceive to be biblical issues. Now, I want to be fair so I don't forget to say this. Rick Warren's stance on this issue, he also believes is biblical. So how can two people see this issue very, very differently? Rick alludes to this in his speech where he talks about kind of the more reformed kind of Baptist movement that doesn't believe that um, God so loved the world, he only loves the elect. You know, he's kind of poking fun at that. But, But I think that's a very different issue, frankly, than what we're talking about with female leadership, because I think there's some very strong um, language that the Bible uses about this, this very issue. So suffice to say, Rick believes he's on scriptural footing and so does the, the SBC. Now, let me just dig into a little bit of the critique that I have about this. I believe that his kind of swanson speech at the SBC convention, is kind of a little bit disturbing to be honest with you how much it is about him. I don't really hear a defense of his position or a really strong sound biblical argument for why there should be a co-pastor, Uh, female at Saddleback Church. So it makes me wonder, is this really kind of a secular tension? You know, he suggests that the secular tension here is that there's, you know, kind of divisiveness going on in society, and it's creeping its way into the church, and it's dividing us. Rather, my contention is that I think society is largely matriarchal, and that the reason that he has... This desire in his latter years to kind of push toward female leadership actually is a secular imperative rather than a biblical one. So it seems to me that the world is imposing its ideas upon the church in in a, I'll say not too subtle, but maybe in Rick Warren's case, a subtle way that's causing him to take this stance. In other words, I'm saying this, Rick Warren has accomplished a lot of things in his life. It's undeniable. Is it at least possible that Rick Warren actually is trying to accomplish one last thing before he leaves and it's making these waves because he wants to be kind of a radical world changer and he's just doing it from a secular perspective rather than from a biblical one? Is he kind of overreaching in his last days to do something meaningful but he's just doing it in the wrong way? Is he doing it because our matriarchal society is imposing its ideas upon him and therefore imposing its ideas upon Saddleback Church. Let me give you some stats that try to help undergird exactly what is going on in our society right now. World statistics tell us this, that the global average for single-parent homes is around 7%. So China has a 4% 4% rate of single-parent homes. I believe India has a 5% rate of single-parent homes. So you can see beyond uh, below below the, uh, the worldwide global average of single-parent homes. Well, there is one country that absolutely blows all other countries out of the water in terms of how many homes are led by a single parent. That country also happens to be the home of the brave, the land of the free, the most prosperous and technologically advanced society in the history of the world and in the nation today. And if you guessed that that nation was America, you would be correct, because while the global average for single-parent homes sits at around 7%, because we have life goals in America— We've absolutely demolished that, and our single-parent home rate in America is at 23%. So as you can see, three times the rate of the rest of the world, the the world average. Now, if you're wondering in, in that statistic how many of those homes are led by women, you would be right in guessing that it's over 80%. In fact, if you look at the statistics in the black family, over 70% of all black families are led by a single parent and 86% of those homes are led by a black woman in the home. So. That we can go even further with this and just show you how important fathers are, but how matriarchal our society is. Girls are seven times more likely to get pregnant before graduating high school if they don't have a dad in the home, and boys are twice as likely to be charged with a crime before they graduate high school. It's undeniable that kids with a dad in the home do better than kids that do not. And all of those stats come Because a concerted effort has been placed upon the destruction of a patriarchal model in society. The feminist movement of the 60s and the 70s has done a fantastic job of showing, even as some of their matriarchs have told us, that they are now becoming the men that they've always wanted to be. In other words, men are more and more unnecessary. Or as others have said, that we need men like a fish needs a bicycle. The matriarchal model of society has been proliferated because of the second and third wave feminist movement that is also the culprit behind much of the trans left-wing ideology that we're seeing in the present. Because if there really is no distinction between a man and a woman, and a a woman can do everything a man can do, then ultimately all we're telling ourselves is, is that men are ultimately unnecessary, or more dangerously, that men don't really exist and women don't exist. They're basically just social constructs that we've placed upon everyone. And all that to say this, that one, yeah, it seems that Rick Warren is making his last stand for cultural relevance here in this moment, and he's doing so for personal reasons. And he's not doing so for biblical ones. If nothing else, it sure seems that the anecdotal way he's treating this thing and the way even he tries to parse scripture on the issue shows that he is allowing society to communicate to him an imperative more so than what the scripture says. You may not like what the SBC is doing, but I want you to look at the motive, at least here, which, again, we can't really know the motive of Rick or maybe the SBC, but the motive better be this at the end of the day, and at least I think this is the motive of the SBC, is they want to be biblical, not cultural. It's become more culturally acceptable for women to take on the roles of men in society. The SBC is not having it. And for that, I am grateful because we need gatekeepers in Christian culture. So much of the Christian culture has leaned to the left because they've felt like the way to reach a left-leaning society is to adopt social progressivism or social leftism. But for those who are standing for the truth, they're recognizing that the church is actually growing rather than declining. Because if all we offer the world is what the world has to offer, they can go find it anywhere else. If the church actually provides them something they cannot find in the world, then perhaps we actually have a niche in a market that's not meeting the needs of other people in in the market. That's what the church has always been and it's what it should still be today. And at least for my part, it sure seems that the SBC is saying we will not adopt cultural standards. We will stand by biblical truth. And this is what the church must be and has always been. Now, unfortunately, our current administration doesn't really seem to understand what they should be standing for. And as a result, they just sent Anthony Blinken to China on a diplomatic mission to speak to the Chinese and to try to come up with some kind of understanding that's mutually beneficial for both of us. Now, before I get to exactly what was the end result of that from as far as I can tell, uh, I want to just tell you that when I see what's happening in the Biden administration, I just I wish for the orange man to come back with his tweeting and to take back over. I am no huge Donald Trump fan. And if I have my choice, I'd rather have DeSantis in office rather than Trump. And hopefully for those of you who are honest enough that aren't even Republicans, you can you can Maybe parse the difference between these two guys uh, a little bit. I won't get into that because whether you're, whether you're for Trump or DeSantis, I don't I don't care as far as it's relevant here. But all I'm saying that is that it, it just it makes me long for better days when there weren't complete and competent fools in charge of our administration. Because here we have Anthony Blinken going to a country that has imprisoned over a million Uyghur Muslims simply because of their ethnicity and not saying a thing about it. In fact, all we get from him is comments like this when he gets back home. So here's Blinken talking to us about his stance on China and Taiwan.
1: I raised U.S. concerns shared by a growing number of countries about the PRC's provocative actions in the Taiwan Strait, as well as in the South and East China Seas. On Taiwan, I reiterated the longstanding U.S. One China policy. Uh, that policy has not changed. It's guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques, the six assurances. We do not support Taiwan independence. We remain opposed to any unilateral changes to the status quo by either side. We continue to expect the peaceful resolution of cross-strait differences. We remain committed to meeting our responsibilities under the Taiwan Relations Act, including making sure that Taiwan has the ability to
0: defend itself. So there we have it. They oppose Taiwanese independence. Well, (laughs) color me skeptical, but I can't help but think that when Anthony Blinken spoke with the Chinese, they said, hey, you need to make sure you oppose Taiwanese independence and then we'll talk a little bit. Because why else would Nancy Pelosi on her last days in office go to visit Taiwan, stirring up the ire of the Taiwanese? Why else would we see the Chinese staging military operations around Taiwan and then Anthony Blinken stand up and oppose Taiwanese independence? I thought the left in America today, the Democratic Party, was supposed to be for the socially ostracized, those people who are suffering and marginalized and and lack social justice. If you want to know why, I as a conservative and many other conservatives and Christians as well rightly mock the left and the Democratic Party of today for being woke, this is why. Because we think you are utterly hypocritical. And for the woke social justice warrior, there is oppression around every single corner and they will find it wherever they possibly can, except, of course, in the areas where it matters most. This is why conservatives don't listen to LeBron James and think he's a total hack because he might be good at basketball, but when he gets into social issues and refuses to stand against China, he's lost all credibility. It's clear that one of the greatest civil rights violators in the present is the Chinese. And I'm saying this at risk to big tech, which is in the pocket of China. If this view, if this podcast doesn't get many views, sorry, if this podcast doesn't get many views, it is because um There are people out there who are totally in bed with China, and you need to just know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. And if you really care about social justice, you'll remove the word social from it, and you'll just desire justice in every circumstance. And you'll be honest about it when it's achieved by the left, and you'll be honest about it when it's achieved by the right. So this is why we make fun of the woke movement, because it's not really interested in Uyghur Muslims, not really interested in the oppression of Taiwan and what China is doing. It's interested in merely political gain. Which may be why Donald Trump is being indicted and charged with having all these boxes of information when Joe Biden had them as well. When, of course, one was the president and one was the vice president while these boxes were in their possession. So suffice to say, um, the double standard here is glaring. The inanity of wokeism is totally glaring and why Christians must also call out the nonsense of wokeism whenever they find it. Look, I get it, you have a bleeding heart, You want to stand up for people and you find the easiest way to possibly do that. That will cost you nothing. I, on the other hand, think that it is incumbent upon us to define love before we actually define what social justice is. And if we understand that love is willing the good of the other, then that means that if we're truly going to stand for justice, that we must do that which is in the best interest of other people, which would mean we do not allow big pharma to line their pockets with the money of confused small children that are under the age of 18 who think that they are trapped in the wrong body. We take a stand against the a clinical profession that says that it is abuse to uh, to engage in conversion therapy, but when a person comes into their office and says, hey, I'm kind of battling gender dysphoria or I'm battling being trapped in the wrong body, they immediately march them into a clinic where they can then make sure that that person's body is, is butchered. So if a person experiences trauma, maybe it's best, in other words, not to just give them physical trauma to also add to their emotional trauma. But But the woke in modern society today won't define love and therefore doesn't understand social justice where it becomes incumbent upon us as Christians to do so. We must show that we have the true definition of love, which makes us uniquely uniquely qualified for the role of understanding what justice truly looks like. And by the way, it may also qualify us to understand what preaching and religion looks like, which is why when a church has its first ever artificial intelligence service, maybe we should take a brief walk down the lane of our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh God of Pronouns. If I'm correct in my assertion today that liberalism and progressivism is not actually courageous but weak, in that real courage is found in conservatism, then it's important that we understand that Christians must then classify themselves as conservative if they really truly want to be be Christians. And these then conservative Christians need to help people understand what church actually is so that we will not go, go about defining it any way that we want. As we see most recently in a church service that took place in Germany that was constructed entirely by artificial intelligence. So a unique sermon was delivered via artificial intelligence Friday in a Lutheran church in Germany. A ChatGPT chatbot asked the people in a fully packed St. Paul's church to rise from the pews and praise the Lord. The bot was personified by an avatar of a bearded black man on a huge screen above the altar. It preached to more than 300 people who showed up for the experimental Lutheran church service, generated almost entirely by artificial intelligence. So the real question comes at the end of the day, can a chatbot preach like a man? Well, yes, a chatbot can preach like a man in that it can communicate to a group of people. But no, it cannot preach like a Christian in that Christian preaching is way more than moral lessons. Christianity is something that must be experienced, and that experience fuels your understanding of what Christianity actually is. This is vitally important, not only because it undermines the existence of a chatbot being able to actually experience Christianity so that it knows what it's talking about on an experiential level, but also so that we can rightly define the difference between Christianity and other religions. See, in the present, so many people think that they actually understand what Christianity is, but they but they don't, they have a cultural understanding of Christianity or an understanding of Christianity that's been passed down to them by their parents or, or, or some other way, but not actually a biblical definition of what, what Christianity actually is. By the way, this is the way many Christians even think about Christianity. They, they can call what they believe in Jesus, but if it doesn't look like the Jesus of scripture, it's not the real Jesus. the the way i can equate this is with a word we use the word judgmental now the way that word is used by christians is almost always secular Of course, Christians are supposed to judge on moral issues. Of course, Christians are supposed to judge whether or not a person is living a Christian life. And to point out the fact that, hey, adultery probably isn't a Christian practice, does not make you judgmental. When the Bible talks about not being judgmental, it does so with two caveats. One, judgmentalism, and from a biblical perspective, when we're asked not to do so by Jesus ever so kindly, is he's asking us not to declare that the eternal destiny of a human being is, is predicated upon what we think. No, it's predicated upon what God thinks. So in other words, if we don't like somebody, we don't get to send them to hell. That That's done by that person's actions based upon how it relates to Scripture. Now, more importantly, when Jesus says, do not judge, he's also doing in in the context of speaking to hypocrites who are doing the very things that they're telling other people not to do. And then he says, if you can get that stuff out of your eye, get, you know, remove the plank that's in your own eye, then you can start working on the sawdust in other people's eye. In other words, you yourself need to be a real authentic Christian who has experienced God, and then you can finally start dealing with... The, the world and, and the issues that are going on in the world. And so this is what I would say to the chat GPT bot. Since you can't experience God, and since you will never know what it's like to have that plank removed from your eye, you actually have no idea what you're talking about. It's important to experience and to understand it from that experiential level. So no, they can't do it, but perhaps, maybe this is the bigger question that I'm really after at the end of the day, The real question to me is can society tell the difference between a person who has really truly experienced God, as the Christian claims you can, and the chat GPT bot that will never be able to experience God? See, the problem today is that we have a socially constructed understanding of what Christianity is, and this happens left and right, to be sure. So this is the Jesus and John Wayne way of doing church where you want to kind of use your intersectionality and your feminist lens to view Christianity, but this also happens with those who are on the right in kind of more of the fundamental, um, sometimes Baptist circles, but fundamental circles where people just go to church on Sunday and they say they're a Christian because they go to church because it's a part of the culture, not because they've actually experienced God and met God. This is the contention of Christianity throughout the ages. So... Suffice to say, a society that is zoned out on drugs and porn or just even simply Netflix are entertained to death that they can't really know what a real Christian sermon looks like is the real problem at the end of the day, is that the vast majority of Christians would be able to go to that chat GPT bot and hear a sermon and find no difference between what they would hear in a church, and I'm sorry to use names, but going to use names, in a church like Andy Stanley's church on a Sunday, there would be very little difference between what you could experience. See, the message of the church, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, was to come and die. That's not the, the message of the modern-day church in many places. It, it isn't to come and pick up your cross. It's to find a safe zone where you can have your ideals heard and you can be listened to. Well, the last I checked... Christianity isn't a safe space. It's not a safe zone, if you will. Taking up a cross really isn't that safe. And you can ask Jesus, as winsome as Jesus could be, people hated him and hated the things that he had to say and got a cross for standing up for the truth. So Christianity is, in point of fact, actually very dangerous, which is why most people don't actually like the real deal. They rather settle for something else, which we're seeing in the culture very often. They settle for something called moralistic... Therapeutic deism. This is greatly expressed in the book, The Benedict Option, by Rod Dreher. And it's the idea that God exists. He wants you to be nice to each other, and he wants you to be happy. And if you ever need him, just give him a call, and maybe he won't be so busy that he can spend a little time to send a little blessing your way if you need it. This essentially is moral therapeutic deism. And it is the modern day way in which our churches function. And many Christians fall for MTD, or Moralistic Therapeutic Deism, and they call that Jesus, but it isn't. For a world greatly deceived as to what Christianity actually is, it is all that much more important that Christians declare to the world what it is, rather than sitting silently by, saying just preach the gospel, and using that merely as a way to cower behind a platitude so that you don't actually have to address real issues, or get involved in the culture war. If that's the kind of Christianity that you're promoting, then you are part of the problem. You are part of the reason why there is a group of people who cannot see the difference between a chat GPT bot pastor and what a real pastor should be. The more we can undermine the misinformation in society today as to what Christianity actually is, the better, because you can open eyes and open minds so that they won't accept a culturally fabricated understanding of Christianity and as a result of that only injure their own hearts and their own souls. So join me and that call to society that calls them far beyond a chat GPT bot because we desperately need it. If that was helpful to you, I thank you for watching and ask that you like, share, and subscribe, and that you go with God.